Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1256, Pandemics Incorporated, Part 6. This is being recorded on August 10th of the year 2022. Before we get into the main body of the program, uh, an advisory or series of advisories that are by now, I think, routine for many listeners, uh, there is way, way too much going on for me to even begin to cover in a one-hour weekly program. So <clears throat> there are several other things that are available to supplement uh, what is going on. Uh, for openers, uh, I, well, I'll, I'll save that for later. Uh, there are fantastic contributions being made by Perifractal, our brilliant contributing editor, who is uh, doing yeoman-like work with the comments that he is posting to our uh, various posts and programs. And also there are some very intelligent comments being placed by other listeners as well. So in order to flesh out your understanding of what is going on, please do use the comments on the SpitfireList.com website. Uh, For those of you who find podcasts to be the best way of consuming the program and in our media environment in 2022. That is increasingly the case. Uh, Sister station WFMU is podcasting the program. There is a link at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post on the SpitfireList.com website, which will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by Sister Station WFMU. Uh, I would emphatically encourage members of the audience to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive, which contains uh, all of my written and recorded work, all all of the comments made by Perifractal, plus a library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. That is available for a small tax-deductible fee. I get no money whatsoever from that. And again, I am extremely pessimistic about the future. I think we are uh, headed for a third world war and for some exceedingly cataclysmically bad things. And as asinine as it may seem, I think that as sentient beings, as members of the human race, we have a an obligation to posterity to do what little we can to preserve the record of what is going on and how we uh, got to the position I'm afraid we are going to. Again, at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each food for thought post on the SpitfireList.com website, there is a link which will enable you to subscribe to, or not subscribe to, but to obtain the 32 gigabyte flash drive. Uh, that contribution is tax deductible and I get no money whatsoever from that. 
And in addition to the at least once a week uh, for the record programs which I am recording and for which I put together long written descriptions, I am doing three one-hour, often more than one-hour talks per week on a Patreon site. I am also doing bi-weekly Zoom Q&A sessions on that same Patreon site. And again, at the, e- at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post on the Spitfire List .com website, there is a link for you to uh, basically subscribe to the Patreon site. And again, I'm doing three one-hour programs, and I'm sure it will not be a surprise to veteran listeners that I often go longer than a single hour. Plus, every other week I'm doing Zoom Q&A sessions. So if you have uh, questions, contributions to make and would like to uh, experience the uh, dubious pleasure of talking to me live, uh, then Patreon is the way to go. In this program, I'm going to review some of the discussion that I have engaged in during the last couple of programs. Uh, there is a surreal feeling to, for me at least, to what is going on. Uh, I'm an old geezer, and uh, so I remember, uh, I, I don't watch television, I rarely go to the movies, I don't keep up with showbiz, but TV is uh, a major part of our upbringing. And I recall that as a boy, uh, I recall being very taken with, I, I, I never missed an episode of the old Twilight Zone TV series done by Rob Serling. And there is something about the way things are going that really reminds me of the old Twilight Zone series. I remember in particular an episode where an airplane lands at an airport. It was a propeller-driven airliner of the time. As I recall, it was probably a uh, DC-3, basically a civilian passenger-carrying version of the old C-47 military transport. And when the plane taxis into the hangar area, it turns out there is no one on board, no crew, no passengers, no one. So most of the program uh, deals with the people at the airport trying to figure out what has happened here. Finally, one guy concludes that what is taking place is an, an, a manifestation of mass hypnosis and that that plane is not really here at all, but we are all somehow perceiving it to be here. And so what he does, he has a fellow uh, airport employee climb into the cockpit of the airplane and start the engines. And the engine, this is an old propeller-driven plane, the engines, uh, the propellers are whirling, and he walks up to the propeller, he's going to put his hand in it, and obviously there is a moment of high drama as he approaches the propeller, and you're wondering if he's going to get cut to bits. And he puts his hand in the propeller, and nothing happens. And so he then turns to the guy in the cockpit and just says, you see, I told you, this plane isn't really here. 
and all of a sudden, the guy in the cockpit disappears, and then the plane disappears, and then the airport, the buildings at the airport disappear, and all you see is a vague, distant horizon with this guy walking into the void. Uh, it might seem bizarre or perhaps inappropriate, but somehow... Uh, what is going on feels that way, and in particular, the very compelling body of information that the COVID-19 pandemic was deliberately created. It did come from a laboratory. Uh, the lab wasn't in China, and it wasn't a bloody leak. It was done deliberately. And yet, uh, the enormity of that fact is really what it is, and I'm going to go into some of the uh, information that points very strongly in that direction, and the surreal goings-on in the society as a whole. And I, I wonder in that regard about the psychological and sociological effects of the pandemic itself. I did uh, the first part of my long series on COVID-19, and I called it Bio-Psyop Apocalypse Now. And uh, it was part of you know, <laughs> you know, um, umpteen uh, different episodes. And this is in many ways a Bio-Psyop Apocalypse Now. So I think uh, what I'm going to do is to repeat a lot of the information that I have discussed or presented in the last two programs. However, I'm going to do it in a different order from the way I had uh, presented it in the past couple of programs. Uh, much of the information is very technical from a scientific and medical standpoint. I think that is among the obstacles that uh, stands in the way of re ready or easy comprehension. And so I'm going to repeat it, hoping that repeating this information will perhaps make it easier to understand, and I'm going to present it in a somewhat different order, which I think I'm hoping will clarify. So I want to apologize if for the more astute Members of the audience, this appears overly repetitive, and uh, I will uh, proceed in that regard. Uh, I think before I get into that, well, no, I'm going to wait on that. I uh, I remain terrified, frankly, of the beginning of a third world war. Uh, the level of lying is amazing, and. Uh, I think, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to hold off to, for an update uh, on Ukraine. Um, we're being told that Ukraine is winning the war or that they have a chance to win the war. That is not the case. Um, Russia is, is winning. They have been from the beginning, and they are going to win the war, however the severe the cost uh, turns out to be, and the cost has been greatly exaggerated as far as I can tell. Uh, it would appear that Russia will be hanging on to some of the key areas of Ukraine, primarily in the east and southern part of the country. Those are the parts of the country that have large 
ethnically and linguistically Russian populations, and the war there essentially grew out of not only a covert operation by the U.S. and the West, in which uh, the Nazis from the OUNB successor organizations were placed in a position of control, but in effect, this is a blow-up of what is a civil war between the uh, large ethnic and linguistically Russian minority and uh, the ethnically Ukrainian portion of the population. So it is really a civil war. Uh, And again, the eastern and southern parts of Ukraine are primarily inhabited by ethnically and linguistically Russian people, and it is altogether probable that those will be held on to by Russia and will vote to uh, reunite with Russia or at least become uh, autonomous allied territories. Those also are some of the most economically important areas of Ukraine, both with regard to industry and mining and with regard to agriculture. I don't think that the people in charge in the West have the maturity to admit either defeat or even that they made a mistake. And, you know, the the inflation that we are experiencing, everything and everybody uses fuel, food, and fertilizer, the last two being strongly linked. And the price of all of those is going up because of the war, and it is affecting uh, inflation all over the world. And uh, I don't think the people in charge in Washington or Europe are going to admit that. And I don't think they have the maturity to even admit to themselves that they have made a mistake and to admit defeat. I also would be very surprised at this point if Russia took uh, a an offer for a negotiated peace seriously given that the U.S. has withdrawn from the ABM treaty, the Open Skies treaty, the Intermediate Range Missile treaty, and uh, they, the West did not fail to uh, enforce either the Minsk I or Minsk II treaties. I, I wouldn't bet on the Russians taking the West seriously. I know I wouldn't at this point. You know, it's it's like the the boy who cried wolf. At what point do you realize you're dealing with uh, an endemic liar and simply ignore what they say? Uh, One thing that I find really terrifying, and that is the artillery attacks that are being made on the Japarizia nuclear plant, nuclear power plant, that is the largest in Europe, and it is occupied by the Russians. And uh, the Ukrainians are alleging that the Russians are using the cover of that plant to uh, fire, to launch attacks. Uh, Amnesty International just basically came out with a report which would come as no surprise to any knowledgeable observer that, in fact, Ukraine has been violating the rules of war by using civilians and civilian installations as uh, covers for military activity of one kind or another. Uh, Ukraine has blamed the artillery attacks on the Zaporizhia plant on Russia, which is insane. Why would the Russians be bombarding an area that they occupy? However, if that plant does get knocked 
out or cracked open by artillery strikes of one kind or another, either by shelling or by a high Mars or whatever, and if it uh, produces a major nuclear accident, that would neutralize from an economic standpoint any gains that Russia would stand to make from the war. It would uh, go a long way toward uh, turning those areas into a wasteland. And, of course, if such a thing were to happen, it would be blamed on the Russians, why the Russians would shell their own uh, facility is anybody's guess. At this point, however, the level of lying in which our government is engaged in and in which the West is engaged in is so pervasive that they could claim that Dumbo the flying elephant flew over the plant and relieved himself on it, and that's what produced the meltdown, and it would be believed in the West. Again, I, one, the, the run-up to World War I reminds me a lot of what I'm seeing now, uh, the difference being that in the run-up to World War I, they didn't have nuclear and the biological weapons of the world-ending and civilization-ending ferocity that we have now. I, I was struck during the G7 meeting by the uh, remarking by leaders about uh, Vladimir Putin appearing bare-chested in photographs. There was one of him fishing without a shirt on, and another of him riding a horse without a shirt on. And Putin said, and it makes sense, that those were the pictures that journalists were interested in, and that... uh, they weren't interested in pictures of him signing documents or talking on the phone or talking with another political figure, which makes sense. But I was struck by the, uh, frankly, adolescent commentary coming out of the G7 leaders with people like uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, Boris Johnson saying, well, maybe we should take our shirts off and uh, show our pecs like Vladimir Putin. Uh, the thought of any members of the G7 appearing with no shirt on is less than appetizing. But it, it was really striking that they made such a big deal out, out of that. It was an adolescent psychological manifestation. That is something I would expect from a freshman in high school. It's, it's freshman in high school locker room behavior or maybe even uh, middle school locker room behavior. It is not something that I would expect from an adult. And again, the thought that Boris Johnson with no shirt on is... Uh, well, I'm not even going to engage in that. Uh, please, no, no. Uh, G7 leaders, please keep your clothes on. But I think when one contemplates that level of spectacular immaturity, I don't think that they are going to admit that they made the mistake or that they have lost, and they are going to do whatever they are going to do. And aside from the effects on the global ecology of having a major nuclear power plant melt down or basically uh, go down. And uh, what Russia would do in that event is anybody's guess. But uh, this is that's something to be alert for. And who knows, that might lead to World War III. It might lead to the use of tactical, tactical nuclear weapons. If that starts to happen, then that will be the end. 
all of which is to say I am scared. And if that, if some of the things I have posited here seem unlikely, just keep in mind what has already been done. And again, there is some very firm evidence that COVID-19 was deliberately created. Uh, I'm going to reread some sections from a letter that was sent to the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. It was co-authored by Neil L. Harrison, H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N, and Jeffrey D. Sachs. The latter was the chair of the Lancet's Commission on the Origins of COVID. He disbanded that because of the significant presence on that commission of people from the EcoHealth Alliance, chaired by Peter Bashek and financed by the Pentagon, uh, USAID, a State Department subsidiary that often serves as a front for CIA, and their science and policy advisor was David Franz, the former commanding officer of the U.S. Army's Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases at Fort Detrick. Um, as we have also noted, Metabiota uh, is another Pentagon biological warfare contractor heavily overlapped with the EcoHealth Alliance and the one that has been partnered with EcoHealth Alliance since 2014. And Metabiota was deeply involved with Ukraine. And in turn, Metabiapa and the gigantic Munich reinsurance company, Munich Re, have combined to create a pandemic insurance program with venture capital that was put forward by Incutel, the venture capital arm of the CIA and the intelligence community. That is all by way of review. But there are some really important aspects of this very technically complex letter uh, that I think warrant review and that I think uh, warrant another look, in particular in combination with some of the other elements of discussion that I have presented in the past. So again, from the letter, a call from Independent Inquiry into the Origin of the SARS-CoV-2 Virus by Neil L. Harrison and Jeffrey B. Sachs. The latter, by the way, has opined, as we have looked, that the virus originated from the U.S. Biological Laboratory, although he says it was a blunder, unquote, and he didn't think that had anything to do with biological warfare. That is pro forma. He'd be killed if he said that. Um... As it is, he'll just be ignored. But uh, some very important pieces of information in that letter. Now, again, this is highly technical, and so I'm going to repeat this and uh, present it in hopefully a context that will make it perhaps easier to understand or that will fix it in people's memory a little more effectively. Uh, one uh, excerpt. By the way, I did, for the record, programs 11.24 through 11.27, I I talked about the magic virus theory. It is a takeoff on the magic bullet theory in the JFK assassination. And in that context, uh, this, (laughs) a key aspect of, quote, the magic virus theory. Special concerns surround the presence of an unusual furin, F-U-R-I-N, cleavage site, or FCS, in SARS-CoV-2, 
that augment the pathogenicity and transmissibility of the virus relative to related viruses like SARS-CoV-1. Again, this unusual FCS makes the virus both uh, more pathogenic, i.e. it makes people sicker, and it is it increases the transmissibility of the virus. Continuing, SARS-CoV-2 is, to date, the only identified member of the subgenus Sorbicovirus, S-A-R-B-E-C-O-V-I-R-U-S, that contains an FCS, although these are present in other coronaviruses. A portion of the sequence of the spike protein of some of these viruses is illustrated in the alignment shown in Figure 1, and the article is linked, illustrating the unusual nature of the FCS and its apparent insertion, note this, a portion of the sequence of the spike protein of some of these viruses is illustrated in the alignment shown in Figure 1, illustrating the unusual nature of the furin cleavage site and its apparent insertion in SARS-CoV-2. Again, its apparent insertion in SARS-CoV-2. From the first weeks after the genome sequence of SARS-CoV-2 became available, researchers have commented on the unexpected presence of the FCS within SARS-CoV-2, the implication being that SARS-CoV-2 might be a product of laboratory manipulation. One more time. From the first weeks of the, after the genome sequence of SARS-CoV-2 became available, researchers have commented on the unexpected presence of the FCS within SARS-CoV-2, the implication being that SARS-CoV-2 might be a product of laboratory manipulation. In a review piece arguing against this possibility, it was asserted that the amino acid sequence of the FCS in SARS-CoV-2 is an unusual, non-standard sequence for an FCS, and that nobody in a laboratory would design such a novel FCS. In fact, the assertion that the FCS in SARS-CoV-2 has an unusual, non-standard amino acid sequence is false. One more time. In fact, the assertion that the FCS in SARS-CoV-2 has an unusual, non-standard amino acid sequence is false. The amino acid sequence of the FCS in SARS-CoV-2 also exists in the human ENACA subunit, where it is known to be functional and has been extensively studied. And still more. The one, talking about the fact that this is the same in humans and uh, great apes, the one non-human, non-great ape species with that same sequence 
is Pipistrellus cooley, K-U-H-L-I-I, a bat species found in Europe and Western Asia. Other bat species, including Rhinophilus, Ferramequinum, have a different FCS sequence in ENACA. And those types of bats were uh, a major focal point of DARPA research, as we have looked at in uh, that consummately important Whitney Webb article from The Last American Vagabond. And after noting that that FCS and the similarity to the ENACA expression, uh, ENACA formation makes the FCS pathogenic in the extreme, uh, the article goes on to say, we do know that the insertion of such FCS sequences into SARS-like viruses was a specific goal of work proposed by the EHA-WIV-UNC partnership within a 2018 grant proposal codenamed or uh, named Diffuse, D-E-F-U-S-E, that was submitted to the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA. The 2018 proposal to DARPA was not funded, but we do not know whether some of the proposed work was subsequently carried out in 2018 or 2019, perhaps using another source of funding. We also know that this research team would be familiar with several previous experiments involving the successful insertion of an FCS sequence into SARS-CoV-1 and other coronaviruses, and they have a lot of experience in construction of chimeric SARS-like viruses. And again, by the way, this work was being conducted under EcoHelp Alliance, not only at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or as I have termed it, the Oswald Institute of Virology, but also at the University of California at Davis and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And again, the last time I checked, uh, Davis, California, and Chapel Hill, North Carolina were not in China. Continuing here. In addition, actually, let me, let me reread that last sentence to maintain the continuity here. We also know that this research team would be familiar with several previous experiments involving the successful insertion of an FCS sequence in the SARS-CoV-1 and other coronaviruses, and that they have a lot of experience in the construction of chimeric SARS-like viruses. In addition, the research team would also have some familiarity with the FCS sequence and the FCS-dependent activation mechanism of human ENAC, which was extensively characterized at the University of North Carolina. For a research team assessing the pandemic potential, notice, for a research team assessing the pandemic potential of SARS-related coronaviruses, the FCS of human ENAC, an FCS known to be efficiently cleaved by host furin present in the target location epithelial cells 
of an important target organ, lung, of the target organism, human, might be a rational, if not obvious, choice of FCS to introduce into a virus to alter its infectivity in line with overworked performed previously. This last sentence again. For a research team assessing the pandemic potential of SARS-related coronaviruses, the FCS of human EMAC, an FCS known to be efficiently cleaved by host furin present in the target location epithelial cells of an important target organ lung of the target organism human, might be a rational if not obvious choice of FCS to introduce into a virus to alter its infectivity in line with other work performed previously. And then, of course, the molecular mimicry of EMAC within the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein might be a mere coincidence, although one with a very low probability. Again, of course, the molecular mimicry of EMAC within the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein might be a mere coincidence, although one with a very low probability. Again, my discussion of uh, the magic virus theory. The exact FCS sequence present in SARS-CoV-2 has recently been introduced into the spike protein of SARS-CoV-1 in the laboratory in an elegant series of experiments with predictable consequences in terms of enhanced viral transmissibility and pathogenicity. Again, the authors note that there's very low, a very low probability that this could have been an accident. Continuing. Obviously, the creation of such SARS-1 and 2 chimeras is an area of some concern for those responsible for present and future regulation of this area of biology. Information held by the research team headed by EcoHealth Alliance, about whom we've spoken, as well as the communications of that research team with U.S. research funding agencies, including the National Institutes of Health, the U.S. Agency for International Development, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, and the Department of Homeland Security, could also shed a collection of SARS like bat COVs from the field in southwest China, uh, excuse me, w- w- could also shed considerable light. Let me, I, I, I read the wrong passage here. Information now held by the research team headed by EHA, as well as the communications of that research team with U.S. research funding agencies, including the National Institutes of Health, the U.S. Agency for International Development, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, and the Department of Homeland Security, could shed considerable light on the experiments undertaken by the U.S.-funded research team and on the possible relationship, if any, between those experiments and the emergence of SARS-CoV-2. Participating institutions. 
include the EcoHealth Alliance, the University of North Carolina, the University of California at Davis, the National Institutes of Health, and the USAID. Under a series of NIH grants and USAID contracts, the EcoHealth Alliance coordinated the collection of SARS-like bat COVs from the field in southwest China and southeast Asia, the sequencing of these viruses, the archiving of these sequences involving University of California at Davis, and the analysis and manipulation of these viruses, notably at the University of North Carolina. A broad spectrum of coronavirus research was done not only in Wuhan, including groups at Wuhan University and the Wuhan CDC, as well as the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but also in the United States. The exact details of the fieldwork and laboratory work of the EcoHealth Alliance, Wuhan Institute of Virology, University of North Carolina Partnership, and the engagement of other institutions in the United States and China has not been disclosed for independent analysis. The precise nature of the experiments that were conducted, including the full array of viruses collected from the field and the subsequent subsequent sequencing and manipulation of these viruses, remains unknown. And I'm going to reread a short section of an article that we've uh, uh, talked about in the past before I come back to this. And this has to be borne in mind as you evaluate this. Again, from the Guardian, uh, the British Guardian paper of June 19th of 2018 by Ian Sample, S-A-N-P-L-E. Synthetic biology raises risk of new bioweapons, U.S. report warns. Quote, advances in the area mean that scientists now have the capability to recreate dangerous viruses from scratch, make harmful bacteria more deadly, and modify common microbes so that they can churn out lethal toxins once they enter the body. In the report, the scientists describe how synthetic biology, which gives researchers precision tools to manipulate living organisms, quote, enhances and expands, unquote, opportunities to create bioweapons. Today, the genetic code of almost any mammalian virus can be found online and synthesized. And again, these viruses uh, were sequenced at the uh, as part of this research. Uh, again, as noted here, the precise nature of the experiments that were conducted, including the full array of viruses collected from the field and the subsequent sequencing and manipulation of those viruses, remains unknown. And as known here, repeating, uh, the EcoHealth Alliance uh, fostered the collection of SARS-like bat COVs from the field in southwest China and southeast Asia. The sequencing of these viruses the archiving of these sequences involving UCB, and the analysis and manipulation of these viruses, notably at UNC. And again, the precise nature of the experiments that were conducted, including the full array of viruses collected from the field, and the subsequent sequencing and manipulation of those viruses, remains unknown. And continuing with the letter to the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences from May 22nd of this year, the NIH 
could say more about the possible role of its grantees in the emergence of SARS-CoV-2, yet the agency has failed to reveal to the public the possibility that SARS-CoV-2 emerged from a research-associated event, even though several researchers raised that concern on February 1st, 2020, in a phone conversation that was documented by email. Those emails were released to the public only through the Freedom of Information Act, and they suggest that the National Institutes of Health Leadership took an early and active role in promoting the zoonotic hypothesis, i.e. natural jumping from animals to humans, and the rejection of the laboratory-associated hypothesis. Now, central to the the excerpts of information are presenting is the legal concept of consciousness of guilt. Continuing here. The NIH has resisted the release of important evidence such as the grant proposals and project reports of EcoHealth Alliance and has continued to redact materials released under Freedom of Information Act, including a remarkable 290-page redaction in a recent Freedom of Information Act release. Acting NIH Director Lawrence Tabak testified before Congress that several such sequences in a U.S. database were removed from public view. And again, uh, as the brilliant Berkeley researcher P.B. Dale Scott has noted, the cover-up obviates the conspiracy. And again, forgive me if this is sounds too corny or I've repeated it too many times, but it's like the old Warner Brothers cartoons where Bugs Bunny is in a haunted house and he knocks on the door and goes, nah, anybody in there? And the voice says, no, there's nobody in here. And uh, I'm afraid that is kind of like what we are looking at here. Uh, now, again, the concept of consciousness of guilt is something that we need to uh, consider very carefully here. And uh, jumping to a, an article that appeared in Vanity Fair magazine on June 3rd of 2021, and this was titled by Catherine Eben, E-B-A-N, titled The Lab Leak Theory, Inside the Fight to Uncover COVID-19's Origins. And one of the things that is so interesting here is that the EcoHealth Alliance and Peter Bayshek were heavily involved with gaming a letter to the Lancet publication, again, whose COVID commission was chaired by Jeffrey B. Sachs, the co-author of that letter to the, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And as we noted, by the way, in For the Record 1215, Jeffrey Sachs disbanded the Lancet COVID commission specifically because the presence of EcoHealth Alliance people, including Peter Bayshek, compromised the integrity of that body. Now note again here the concept of consciousness of guilt. And note that the EcoHealth Alliance is co- collecting and sequencing these bat DNAs, uh, bat gen- genomes, and manipulating them as well, both in China and in the U.S., and doing so in combination with Mevabiopa. On February 19th, 2020, the Lancet, among the most respected and influential medical journals in the world, 
published a statement that roundly rejected the lab leak hypothesis, effectively casting it as a xenophobic cousin to climate change denialism and anti-vaxism. Signed by 27 scientists, the statement expressed, quote, solidarity with all scientists and health professionals in China, unquote, and asserted, quote, we stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin, unquote. Skipping down. It soon emerged based on emails obtained by a Freedom of Information group called U.S. Right to Know that EcoHealth Alliance's Peter Bashek had not only signed but organized the influential Lancet statement with the intention of concealing his role and creating the impression of scientific unanimity. Under the subject line, quote, No need for you to sign the statement, Ralph. He wrote to two scientists, including the University of North Carolina's Dr. Ralph Barrett, who had collaborated with Zheng Li on the gain-of-function study that created a coronavirus capable of infecting human cells, quote, you, me, and him should not sign this statement so it has some distance from us and therefore doesn't work in a counterproductive way, unquote. Deshek added, we'll then put it out in a way that doesn't link back to our collaboration so we maximize an independent voice, unquote. Barrage agreed, writing back, quote, otherwise it looks self-serving and we lose impact, unquote. Again, this at the same time that they are creating these viruses, and as we have seen, they are partnered with uh, Metabiab and Munich Reinsurance with financing from Intel, the CIA's and intelligence communities, venture capital arm. Now note that uh, Trump administration and uh, Mike Pompeo State Department officials began pushing the lab leak uh, hypothesis uh, and again, doing that in an anti-China context. Uh, I would note uh, something I just came across. Uh, Matthew Potter, he's now left the Trump administration, obviously. They're no longer in power. Uh, I, he now works at the Hoover Institute right down the road at Stanford. He has a Chinese-American wife who is a virologist with the Center for Disease Control which is interesting and possibly significant. But note here what happened when the Trump-Pompeo folks began pushing the lab leak hypothesis, returning to this Vanity Fair article from June 3rd of 2021. A months-long Vanity Fair investigation, interviews with more than 40 people, and a review of hundreds of pages of U.S. government documents, including internal memos, meeting minutes, and email correspondence, found that conflicts of interest stemming in part from large government grants supporting controversial virology research hampered the U.S. investigation into COVID-19's origin at every step. In one State Department meeting, officials seeking to demand transparency from the Chinese government said they were explicitly told by colleagues not to explore the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain-of-function research because it would bring unwelcome attention to U.S. government funding of it. Again, I wondered 
if there's any connection between the Chinese-American virologist uh, wife who works for the CDC of Matthew Pottinger and any of this. Continuing. In an internal memo, this last sentence again, in one State Department meeting, officials seeking to demand transparency from the Chinese government said they were explicitly told by colleagues not to explore the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain-of-function research because it would bring unwelcome attention to U.S. government funding of it. In an internal memo obtained by Vanity Fair, Thomas Binano, capital D-I, capital N-A-M-M-O, former acting assistant secretary of the State Department's Bureau of Arms Control, Verification and Compliance, wrote that staff from two bureaus, his own and the Bureau of International Security and Nonproliferation, quote, warned, uh, unquote, leaders within his bureau not to pursue an investigation into COVID-19 because it would open a can of worms if it continued. As the group probed the lab leak scenario, among other possibilities, its members were repeatedly advised not to open a Pandora's box, said four former State Department officials interviewed by Vanity Fair. The admonitions, quote, smelled like a cover-up, unquote, said Thomas Binano. Now, again, jumping back to a Wired magazine article uh, from June 16th of 2020, right in the middle of the... Uh, pandemic. This is about Metabiopa, which again was partnered with the aforementioned EcoHealth Alliance and also with Munich Reinsurance with financing from the InQtel venture capital arm of CIA and intelligence community. And they were working on a business model for pandemic insurance. Now this is in 20. 18, okay, here's what they were working on. As sophisticated as this the article again, we can protect the economy from pandemics, why didn't we, by Evan Ratliff, R-A-P-L-I-F-F, from Wired Magazine, of June 16th of 2020. And again, excerpting here, as sophisticated as Metabiotis system was, however, it would need to be even more refined to incorporate into an insurance policy. The model would need to capture something much more difficult to quantify than historical deaths and medical stockpiles, fear. The economic consequences of a scourge, the historical data showed, were as much a result of society's response as they were to the virus itself. The sentiment index was built to be, as Oppenheim put it, a catalog of dread, unquote. And again, note that the economic consequences of a scourge the historical data showed were as much a result of society's response as they were to the virus itself. For any given pathogen, again, uh, the sentiment index was built to be, as Oppenheim put it, a catalog of dread, For any given pathogen, it could spit out a score from 0 to 100, according to how frightening the public would find it. Mabob, she was the head of Metabab, and her team, along with Wolf and Oppenheim, also researched the broader economic consequences of disease outbreaks measured in the cost per death prevented, unquote, incurred by societal interventions. 
This is what they were looking at in 2018. Quote, measures that decreased person-to-person contact, including social distancing, quarantine, and school closures, had the greatest cost per death prevented, most likely because of the amount of economic disruption caused by those measures, unquote, they wrote in a 2018 paper. And what might have caused those measures? And this is in 2018. Quote, as, and this, again, this is in the middle of the pen, the article's from June of 2020. As the human and economic devastation multiplied in tandem across the globe from COVID-19, parenthetically, member by others employees suddenly found themselves living inside their own models projections. Just two years earlier, the company had run a large set of scenarios forecasting the consequences of a novel coronavirus spreading around the globe. This at the same time as they are partnered with EcoHealth Alliance that is creating those novel coronaviruses, and two of whose key people, Peter Bashek, the head of it, and uh, Ralph Barish, one of their top, one of the top researchers, were gaming that leverage of the Lancet, saying that uh, any notion this came from a lab is like climate denial, climate change denial, or anti-vaxxism. And uh, again, the key principle here is the legal concept of consciousness of guilt. Uh, Ian went, again, as I've said before, in murder mysteries, whether it's uh, Sherlock Holmes or Perry Mason or you know, Detective Columbo or Agatha Christie, there was a major scenario where someone dies under suspicious circumstances and as the hero slash detective investigator pursues it. It turns out that one of the people close to them took out a lucrative life insurance policy just before the deceased met their end, and they profit thereby. Uh, Metabiata, partnered with EcoHealth Alliance, financed by InQtel and uh, partnered with Munich Reinsurance, has developed a pandemic insurance program, but because pandemics were a one-in-a-century, once-in-a-century occurrence, they didn't have many takers. Well, now they've got a lot of them after, again, amazing coincidence. In 2018, we were talking about the consequences of a novel coronavirus spreading around the globe and necessitating, quote, measures that decreased person-to-person contact, including social distancing, quarantine, and school closures, had the greatest cost per death prevented, most likely because of the amount of economic disruption caused by those measures they wrote in a 2018 paper. Amazingly prescient. And there is a Vox article from January 28th of 2020, about five months before that Wired article. It is by Rebecca Heilweil, H-E-I-L-W-E-I-L, How AI is Baffling the Coronavirus Outbreak. And it talks about metabiota. Now, what were they, uh, what was on their radar in mid, in, in January of 2020? Metabiota also claims it can estimate the risk of a disease's spreading, causing social and political disruption based on information like an illness's symptoms, mortality rate, and the availability of treatment. For instance, at the time of this article's publication, 
Metabiopa rated the risk of the novel coronavirus causing public anxiety as high in the U.S. and China, but it rated this risk for the monkeypox virus in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where there have been reported cases of that virus, as, quote, medium, unquote. Well, guess what? Uh, not there anymore, and... Uh, Obviously, monkeypox is now uh, crossing through the U.S. We don't know how much or how fast, but it is creating a lot of alarm, a lot of homophobic reaction. It will also be making a lot of money for Big Pharma. And I would note the following as we, we're going to talk about monkeypox in our next program. Uh, op-ed piece from the New York Times of Monday, August 1st of 2022. This is by Scott Gottlieb. He was the head of the FDA under Donald Trump from May of 2017 to August of 2019. He is now on the board of directors of Pfizer and works for the American Enterprise Institute. And he's talking all about uh, monkeypox. It's called monkeypox. Could be our next public health failure. And noting... It has effectively created an agency out of an office in the talk about the Biden administration. It has effectively created an agency out of an office inside the Department of Health and Human Services that is charged with coordinating the federal response to bioterrorism, among other things. Interesting. Significant possibly, definitely interesting. The reordering puts the new administration for strategic preparedness and response on equal footing with the CDC, for whom, by the way, Matthew Pottinger's Chinese-American virologist wife works. It's a classic Washington response to a problem, create an agency around it. Again, uh, this was uh, inside the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, and it was the agency was, was charged with coordinating the federal response to bioterrorism, among other things. And again, this from Trump's former head of the FDA, now on the board of Pfizer, and working for the uh, American Enterprise Institute. And now everybody's scared of monkeypox, which was on Metabiopa's radar in January of 2020. So we'll ruminate about monkeypox in our next program. Again, I'm doing, uh, there's no way if I can cover all the things that are going on in one weekly broadcast. I'm doing three one-hour talks, often more than one hour a week, on the Patreon site, and we'll be uh, filling in the gaps which, of necessity, I have to uh, leave due to the limitations of time. And speaking of which, we are all out of time. This concludes, for the record, program number 1256, Pandemics Incorporated, Part 6. This is being um, recorded on August 10th of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.